is from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Kittings. My guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Danny. <laughs> In our main topic today, we're going to be talking about the latest efforts to revive Hong Kong's tourism industry. Hong Kong Disneyland will today open the world's first frozen theme attraction inspired by the well-known animated musical fantasy of the same name. And a huge luxury cruise ship called the Celebrity Solstice has just arrived in Hong Kong, which will remain its home for the next five months, with the potential to bring thousands of visitors to the city. Meanwhile, the West Kowloon Cultural District was busy organizing a series of free musical shows last weekend. So will this be enough to increase the number of visitors, which is starting to climb back to close to pre-pandemic levels? Or is there more that still needs to be done? Later in the program, we're also going to be looking at a new law which could send you to prison for up to one year for feeding wild pigeons. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233 our guests in the main uh, segment of the show this morning, we have here with us in the studio, uh, Jeff Bent. Jeff Bent is uh, Managing Director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals. And on the line, we have Dennis Wong. Dennis Wong is Project Manager at Vocational Training Council. Good morning, uh, um, uh, Mr. Wong. Let's go to you first. Yeah, good morning. So how do you assess the Hong state of Hong Kong's tourism industry now? Now we are picking up the energy very uh, quite well uh, in the last few months. Uh, there are many to go on. Um, so um, in particular, usually in every year, uh, around uh, November, December is, is, is the hot season for tourism, in particular for, um, for the long-haul market. So it will, the long-haul market means uh, a, a, a higher spending uh, tourists and they will stay longer and more benefits to the tourism industry. Help me out here. I mean, the official figures say uh, that we're back to something like um, 84% of tourist numbers pre-pandemic level. But when you walk around on the streets and even near tourist attractions, it doesn't feel like that. Right, yeah. Um, because uh, we we still have uh, the the main main part of the tourist um, population they are from the mainland, and they are they they stayed uh, not as long as before. So they they may there are many day trippers. So this may affect uh, our, our uh, what we see uh, on the street. And are they? Good morning, Mr. Wong. Are they are they doing different things when they're here? Yeah, they, I have found that they, they are, their, their traveling habits has been uh, changed uh, um, uh, since the post-pandemic time. Um, before, they, they shop a lot and uh, they spend a lot in the, the shopping malls and, and crowded in the shopping malls on the streets. And now they are scattered into different areas to look into uh, to, to, uh, some local cultures. So it may be a good thing in the long run uh, because it will <clears throat> it will um, um, uh, diversify the tourism industry in terms of attractions. Right, and uh, yeah, and that's a healthy thing, isn't it? Because if we yeah. rely on shopping uh, and then everywhere else cuts their prices, uh, our tourism industry disappears. Uh, it's good that they're having a wider scope of of things to do. Uh, I think so. Yeah, in. Uh, because when we are talking about tourism, it's not only retail, um, we are, it's not only shopping, uh, it's talking about tourism services, uh, tour guiding services, and so on and so forth. So uh, it will be more, more healthier. 
Yeah, and you're, you're with the VTC too. I guess that invites the question, do we have enough qualified staff for the tourism industry? Yeah, apparently nowadays it's not enough <clears throat> because uh, there are many, uh, we, we don't have enough graduates, so we are encouraging more 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 new blood uh, to study in the tourism industry and hospitality industry so that when they graduate they can join the industry but uh, obviously because of the pandemic uh, many uh, youngsters they chose to not to join the industry because they they're afraid that they cannot find a good job right they're worried about the future yeah i'm quite optimistic um when the energy is picking up uh, the tourism industry uh, it will um, create a, a better atmosphere for people to join the industry and provide good services. Yeah, you raise a good point, though. I mean, the experience of the pandemic, where the industry basically ceases to exist for three years. I mean, if I'm a young graduate thinking about what career to go into, and I've seen a, a, a career which just basically ceases to exist, exist for several years, I, I'd probably be thinking of another career instead. Yes. So how do you overcome that? I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be a while before people forget that. How I mean, the people who've been working in the tourism industry all their life lost lost their jobs during the pandemic. Yeah, they they are um, they're, they're joining the industry back, and uh, when when they when when manpower is stabilised, everything will 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 be straightened out. It's going to take time, Mr. Wong, isn't it? Yeah, it will take a, take a few years. Uh, am I right in thinking also that these days it's far more important to speak Mandarin than English if you're joining the tourism industry? Yes, certainly. So, uh, and earlier on you were talking about the uh, the long haul market, and you were saying that you quite optimistic yes. about it. But when I look at the numbers for the long long haul market, is a tiny portion of our tourism industry now. The figures so far this year, I mean, maybe the proportion increases in the autumn, but it's something like five percent of our visitor numbers. Yes, it's mainly affected by the the lack of flights. The long haul flights are very expensive nowadays, so it, uh, it hinder a lot uh, the, the long haul market to to come to here. But do you think is it only about flights, or is our, has our tourism industry permanently shifted? Right, that um, it will just be sort of eighty, ninety percent mainlanders, eighty percent. Uh, I'm looking at the figures actually, eighty, eighty, eighty-five percent. Yeah, essentially, we still need to rely on the mainland market very much. Uh, but I think the, the Hong, Hong Kong uh, tourism board is uh, working very hard to try to maximize the, the share of the long-haul market because the long-haul market will uh, create a better environment in the tourism industry yeah. and more diversified um, uh, the tourist mix. What do you think the government can do to help promote that? Well, um, it, it's, it's quite, um, they, they can do a lot of promotion and they, they, they did it quite well, actually. But if the tourists are from their origin, they, they don't have the economic power and they don't have the, um, <clears throat> a good economy from their origin, it, this is something that we cannot control. But, um, and certainly um, to increase more, more flights will help a lot. Yes, I think the... That's a, a very important point from several aspects. One is the flights aren't there at the moment because they could restore the regional flights and the flights within China much more quickly. And also mm -hmm. we lost a lot of qualified staff uh, for, from the aviation industry. Yes. But in terms of the qualified staff, it's, it's, it's a matter of time. 
So within a few years, uh, we can refill them uh, quickly uh, by training, uh, good training and education. When I look at the statistics, um, actually the short-haul market, uh, non-mainland short-haul market, is substantially mm-hmm. more important than the long-haul market. Isn't that some, an area that we should be focusing on a bit more? Yes, yes. Uh, these will be very important, uh, like Japan, uh, Korea, and also Southeast Asia. These places, the, the tourists are picking up to, to come to Hong Kong. And uh, we, uh, we, have, we, we do have some new attractions. Uh, like like uh, we, we always talk about Disney and the frozen-themed uh, uh, area. These will be attractive to them, to this uh, short-haul market, because they don't have these kind of attraction in their own place. Yes, I think this is the first frozen in the world, isn't it? Yes. And uh, we were t- I was actually talking to the PR head for Disney on uh, the other day. You tried to get her on back chat, We you? tried to get her on the show on Friday and she just looked at me and said, I have, Mike, I have 400 requests for media interview. <laughs> so I think, and the industry, I was talking to Michael Moriarty as well, the, and, the, and he's saying the same thing, that the tourism industry in the region is incredibly excited by this opening. So, you know, because the thing is, people, maybe a few diehard Disney fans, people are not going to fly over from Europe or America so much for something like this, but they might well fly over from Singapore, Malaysia and so on. I think once, yeah. once the children get hold of the fact that Frozen is open in Hong Kong. I think it's going to be a lot of domestic propaganda uh, to get. Come on, Dad, that's where the holiday is going to be this year. Okay, thank yeah. you, thank you very much for joining us this morning. That was uh, Dennis Wong, uh, Project Manager of Vocational Training Council. Uh, let's, let's now bring in uh, Jeff Bent, uh, Managing Director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals. Been sitting here patiently in our studio, looking at statistics as well. Right, <laughs> you've got quite an array of bar charts I can see over there. I, I always overprepare for these. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, please, uh, we, we, we love that. So, um, from your perspective, how do you assess the state of the tourism industry now? For for a cruise. Um, it's going to be a gradual comeback over a period of time. I mean, of course, uh, cruise is a small but beautiful uh, sector of tourism in Hong Kong. So um, in terms of numbers, um, not enormous. It's, it's in the you know, hundreds of thousands rather than the millions. But um, it tends to be high-spending passengers. And um, particularly for the upscale cruise line um, that you mentioned that will be uh, alternate home porting uh, with here and our partners Singapore over the uh, over the next six months, um, they bring in um, very high end passengers from um, you know coming in on intercontinental flights. Uh, more than half of them stay in hotels one to three nights before their trip. Half of them stay in hotels one to three nights after their trip. So they really um, contribute significantly um, to to spend in in Hong Kong. It's the um, yep the small but beautiful profile right. passenger we like. The economic multiplier effect of that is just terrific, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yes, because they're spending at both ends of the trip as well. What about the outgoing people? People coming to Hong Kong just to do a cruise out? Well, um, a lot of cruises are open jaw, like you mentioned. So, um, so they could very well uh, fly in. Um, most people, I think, won't, won't risk flying in the same day as their cruise departs. So they, so they do come uh, a couple days early and enjoy the city. 
And um, I think they they contribute, um, yeah, just as just as much as as um, as anybody. Um, of course, you know, when the ship comes in, it'll be bringing passengers f from somewhere else that are debarking here. So. Um, so most of our calls, over ninety percent, are these are these full turnarounds where there'll be you know one set of of thousands of people um, leaving and another set of thousands of people joining. Um, but you're joining us, some of them from the mainland. It depends on the uh, on the line. So we have lines that are more oriented towards. Um, local and, and mainland visitors. And, and actually, one thing that has surprised us is the use of the high-speed rail. You know, we had always expected that people would fly if the train journey was going to be more than four hours, but we have found that that is definitely not the case, that there are people coming in from really Western China, from Chongqing and, and Chengdu and, and Guizhou and Yunnan and all these places um, you know, eight, nine, ten hour high speed rail journeys. They come in, they take a cruise, they stay another night in Hong Kong, and they bundle it with a uh, with a trip to um, over the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge. So, really making use of all our nice new tourism infrastructure. Right, Guilin, I went to recently. It's mm -hmm. a four hour trip. Oh, uh, I said Guizhou. Yes, I know. Sorry, I, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm not sure how is Chongqing eight hours. Chongqing is is yes, it's it's eight hours. It's really far out there. Right. The only other trip I took was to Beijing itself, so that, which is nine hours, I think. Right. So it's fine by train, but um, you referred to um, flying in. I mean, there's still a serious problem with air tickets, isn't there? With, with, with one, with restrictions on long distance number of long distance flights, and two, the consequence of that, of course, is that um, air tickets still tend to be very expensive. And I, I saw reports suggesting that sometimes the air ticket can cost more than the cruise. Absolutely. And um, it's, it is really critical to, to build back the air connectivity, uh, particularly for the cruises that cater to long-haul passengers. You know, we, we also have a ship that's, that's doing a number of turn calls in Hong Kong that caters to German speakers. So, you know, by definition, they're not, they're not flying in from Asia or, or very, very few are flying in from Asia. And um, until we really have the uh, air connectivity built back that, that we used to have, it'll be um, more expensive and difficult. I mean, of course, a lot of these people can afford it, too. Yeah. Um, but um, one of the things that we, we've tried to work on recently is actually another important part of, of building back the cruise capacity in Hong Kong is developing our own market because a lot of these ships they expect to have guests on board from many places not just one place and being the host city uh, the more hong kong people take cruises the easier it is for the cruise lines to send more ships more frequently and bigger better newer hardware so um, last week in conjunction um, with the line and with help from the uh, travel industry council uh, we brought in uh, training from Cruise Lines International Association, which is like the IATA of the cruise world. And we did training for representatives from 50 different travel agencies. They got a, a tour of the ship. Um, we had lunch and training for them inside the cruise terminal. And we're trying to build back a lot of the skill sets that we lost 
um, during during the last few years. A lot of people left the industry, and now we need to sort of train up and and build back um, our own our own tourism knowledge base. Yeah, we could, and the training lead time varies. I mean, there's there's pilots, which you're talking about flying. Yep. And there's also flight attendants, but then there's the baggage handlers, and we we over we we sometimes ignore those things because they. We think, oh, that's an easy job to do. Anyone could do that. But if they've left the industry, it's hard to get them back. How, how's the cruise terminal doing for baggage handling? Um, baggage handling, we're, we're okay. Uh, remarkably, a lot of the um, stevedores who work at the cruise terminal also worked at the container terminal. So they, they kind of just shifted their focus for a few years and, and are now happily back uh, at the cruise terminal, so mostly we're we're mostly worried about the um, the travel agents because you know there used to be whole um, retail shops devoted to selling cruise, and those of course all disappeared. And then I used to see travel agents that had you know floors of of call center staff, and and cruise is a very complicated product to sell. Like a lot of people, you know, if if it's a a flight or a hotel, you can probably do it online yourself, but there are just so many sort of options and permutations with cruises and, and the different brands are, are all quite, have different offerings. So, so selling cruises actually requires a lot of, uh, a lot of training and that's what we're okay. trying to address. I'm looking at the statistics here, what, two or 3,000 arriving or uh, departing in last Thursday? Is that fairly typical? Or? Um, that's, that's a, a large a busy, a day, uh, premium ship. Oh, yeah, this, this is a reference to uh, the um, uh, celebrity sol- solstice, which came in yep. last Thursday. Yep. Uh, so that, that's good. But I mean, you you're, you you remain cautious because I mean, when the celebrity solstice came in and there was big fanfare, and I think the system commissioner for tourism was talking about sort of bringing twenty five thousand um, visitors or something like that. And I was originally going to say that this morning, and you were cautioning me. You you, you think that um, those kind of numbers are overblown, right? Um, I I think. Um we're going to have six calls um, by that by that ship in these in these months. So um, it depends how you count visitors versus passenger movements. So I, I'd say you mean you're counting the same person coming back and yeah, you're counting the same person back. You yes, one one might be yeah if, if they're if they're counting, yeah. So um, but um, yeah, in general, cruising I would say is um, contributes to the Hong Kong tourism numbers in the in the six-digit category rather rather than the seven. It's, it tends to be hundreds of thousands. I'm interested in that point about the complexity of booking um, and the need to train up and have a, a, an army of, of qualified people, uh, agents yep. in, in the field rather, uh, to help the selling. That, that must be quite a job. It, it really is. And um, the thing is, the the personality of different cruise lines is incredibly different. You know, um, I think um, for airlines, you know, the product can can be different, but it doesn't differ to the degree that it does on a cruise line. You know, like one cruise line could be, you know, all about, um, you know, it could be um, theme characters. Another one could be, you know, very much for children. Another one could be like theme park type rides. Um, another one could be about, you know, evoking, you know, some specific country or city. And, and the, you have to get the right people on the right 
cruise line because you know the cruise that you take if you are with your partner is going to be different than the one with your kids or the one that you take with your college buddies um, and the facilities and amenities and design and f and b and the music offered and the shows and everything will be really different um, so the agents have to really know all the complexity of the market. If, if they're going to succeed, they really have to know the personalities of the different brands and make sure that they get the right people on the right cruise for that specific vacation. When are we going to get a Disney cruise ship? <laughs> Boy, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you, you asked. Uh, I, I saw uh, someone from Disney Cruise a couple of weeks ago and um, – they will deploy their first ship in Asia, um, sadly, to Singapore, um, or, you know, happily for some. <laughs> and it will be based out of Singapore for at least uh, a couple of years. And then we will try to um, bring them up to Hong Kong as, as soon as we humanly can or, or get another ship. From, from Disney to uh, right. to come here too, but I think um, the Disney company is, um, you know, spreading their assets somewhat. They have theme parks in you know Tokyo, Shanghai, Hong Kong. Um, no presence in Singapore, so so their their first Asia home ported ship will be in Singapore. That's sorry, I didn't quite follow that. If I were Bob Iger, who mm. by the way I saw mm. in in Hong Kong on mm. last Thursday for the official opening of Frozen. Um, I would have it sailing from Tokyo to Shanghai and then to Hong Kong and then back again. I, I'm with you, Mike. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. But, um, but it, I think they're committed to uh, Singapore for a while. Uh, there, there are a number of aspects to their decision. Another is that they want the ship to sail using um, methanol, which is a type of fuel that we just don't have in Hong Kong at right. the moment. Is this environmentally better? Um, if it's green methanol, it is. Like the methanol today is not yet green, but, but you know, at, at some point when green methanol is available, it will be, who, yes. Who, who do we need to talk to about that? Well, um, you know, fortunately, a, um, a group has just uh, started consultations on that. So I, I think we, we pushed quite hard to get the ball for liquid natural gas over the line as most of the cruise ships being built now are, are to run on LNG, um, which is much cleaner and, and less carbon. And um, now that that ball is almost over the line, um, a working group has just started on uh, methanol. Yep. But the lead time? Oh, a couple of years, I think, at least. Yeah, but it's it's nascent in the shipping industry too. So I think we we aren't necessarily going to be late on on that one if we if we move smartly. And how about con connectivity for the uh, the the cruise terminal? That was a big problem a couple of months ago, wasn't it? Um, I think transport at the at the cruise terminal uh, has continued to improve over time. What what people generally mistake is is they take the cruise terminal to be like an airport and and actually for transport it's it's a lot more like a football stadium um there are days with matches there are days without matches um when there's a match everybody gradually filters in and then the place is chock-a-block with people and then they all leave at once whoosh um when it's when it's over so um the um 
as the district around us grows, I mean, um, the franchise bus operators can't run a daily service when there isn't a ship there every day, uh, which is normal for a cruise terminal. Um, but as the, the district grows up around us and people start moving into apartment buildings, they've been able to add uh, services and add frequencies and extend running times. And then when there's a ship, uh, local people can take those buses. Of course, visitors from overseas are, are not as likely to take uh, to take buses. So it's still a challenge for overseas uh, visitors. They, they use a lot more um, limos and, and taxis. Okay, thank you very much. We're going to take a break for the news, but uh, stay with us. We'll be continuing our discussion about uh, the uh, revival of Hong Kong's tourism industry after the news, and we'll be joined by additional guests. Uh, later on, we're also going to go on to talk about a new law which uh, could send you to prison for up to one year for feeding wild pigeons, so stay tuned for that as well. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on either topics, you can um, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free. The weather forecast it's going to be fine and dry. The temperature will rise to 25 degrees um, and temperatures are gradually going to continue to rise over the next couple of days. But currently it's 21 degrees, relative humidity 63%. It's 9.30. Here's Ben Che with the news. The government is being urged to update the anti-doxing law's definition of personal data to better protect revenge porn victims, with some struggling to get rid of photos shared without their consent. The law was introduced in 2021 to make it a crime to share personal information without authorization. Former Privacy Commissioner Stephen Wong says the threshold for prosecution under the anti-doxing law is too high, as the definition of personal information depends on how practical it is to make out someone's identity. Argentina has elected libertarian outsider Javier Mille as its new president. Official results have not been released, but his rival, Peronist Economy Minister Sergio Massa, has conceded in a speech. His candidacy was hampered by the country's worst economic crisis in two decades while he has been at the helm. Mr. Mille is pledging economic shock therapy. His plans include shutting the central bank, ditching the peso and slashing spending. And the Israeli army has released security camera footage that it says shows hostages being brought into Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza City after being abducted on October the 7th. I'll have more news at 10. People who are patriotic and have an affection for Hong Kong and who are capable and aspire to serve can make our community better. The 2023 District Council Ordinary Election is on December 10th. Remember to bring your identity card and vote for your preferred candidate. Let's build a nice and harmonious community together. Cast your vote at DC Election for a better community. The Road Harbor Crossings will implement time-varying tolls from December 17th. Tolls for private cars and motorcycles vary by time slots and are lower during off-peak hours. Between these time slots, tolls will gradually increase or decrease every two minutes. Taxis tolls remain at $25 all day, while other commercial vehicles have uniform tolls at $50 all day. Check out the HKE Mobility app or the toll displays at tunnels for real-time tolls. 
Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. My guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. In the second half of the show, we're going to be continuing our discussion about uh, the uh, revival of Hong Kong's tourism industry. Uh, here in the studio with us, we have uh, Jeff Bent, uh, Managing Director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals, who are also now joined on the line by Robert Rogers, who's a certified events professional, live events consultant, and part-time lecturer in festival and live event production at Hong Kong Youth Space. Uh, later on in the programme, we're going to be talking about a new law which could send you to prison for up to one year for feeding wild pigeons. If you've got any thoughts on either topic, do email us at backchat at rthk or hk, or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, or give us a call. The number there, 233 Um Mr. Rogers, let's bring you in. Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. Oh, good morning. How are you doing? So how's the event industry doing now? Oh, things are definitely picking up. Things are getting busy. We've got a lot more, lot more events on. Um, <laughs> people still aren't really spending a lot of money. Budgets are budgets are low, and the time lights are tighter than ever. But you know, at least at least something's happening. We're we're happy there. Any big names coming? Can we see soon. Uh, 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 big big names. Uh, yeah, I'm. That's not really my my field. Um, I do know that like Cock and Flap has a few uh, has a couple of um, uh, big headliners coming in that a lot of people are very very excited about. Um, I did hear that. Uh, who was it? Uh, was it Taylor Swift? Somebody somebody was was skipping Hong Kong once again because venue size and stuff. But but uh, but yeah. We had DJ Soda for an event at the Kai Tak Cruise Terminal a week or two ago. There's a big name. I'll take, your word. Oh, there we go. I'll take your word for that. I, I think, um, Robert, Rogers, the, the real question is, are these events just for, for, I mean, they're just attracting a local audience, or is, are they actually bringing people into Hong Kong? I mean, so, you know, when you look at, like, events that bring people into Hong Kong, uh, we, we don't have that many. The, the, the Rugby Sevens, obviously. Um, uh, Art Basel is another one that brings people in, I, and both of them are in the same month. <laughs> you know? um, uh, but but as far as you know, dragon dragon boat races uh, a bit. Um, you know, one one of the things that I think you need to look at when you're trying to design the events to 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 bring tourism in is you know what what is your tourism market, and who who are you trying to bring in. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we get a lot of business events and Hong Kong, Hong Kong being a, such a business capital, that, that certainly brings a lot of people in. Um, you know, things like the Wine and Dine Festival, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're great, um, but they tend, it seems to me as though they tend to be more about the, the local, local population rather than bringing in outside, um, you know, outsiders. Um, if you did something like, for instance, if you were to to combine the the um, it was it was um, chatting with a friend who's uh, who uh, left left government uh, a couple of years ago, and he used to be in in all of this, and we were talking exactly about about this idea of 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 uh, events and tourism. And one of the things he was saying is things like, for instance, the Wine and Dine Festival. If you uh, combine that with a business event, say for instance, Hofex or, or one of those sort of things, then you're going to be bringing in outsiders that would then use the Wine and Dine Festival as part of, um, you know, as part of the experience of them them coming to Hong Kong. Um, but both of us were, were kind of agreeing in the fact that Hong Kong doesn't really have a, a very very long-term vision or a very, you know, uh, a, a plan, as it were, specifically for the event, Ooh. mega events. Right. Well, I, I, can, I can say, actually, um, 
the Hong Kong Tourism Board did a really good job of organizing sort of the brand name uh, cruise industry uh, event that brought in a lot of people from around the region. And they, and they did it um, uh, adjacent to the Wine and Dine Festival. So that actually worked really well. They, they did bring in a bunch of overseas uh, cruise executives and, and port executives and then, and then brought them all around to the Wine and Dine after. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Things, yeah, things like that, where you bring in, um, you know, you know, combine business events with, uh, with, with, you know, more, more right. special events. I, mm-hmm. I, intrigued by your point about the art, art Basel and the rugby sevens, because I guess you could argue that having them in close proximity, time-wise, is actually good. It could I expand. know. Are they exactly the same target audience? Well, that's that was going to be no. my question for. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's such the same same target audience. I mean, some there is definitely some crossover, um, but at the same time, you you know, when you look at like hotels, um, uh, room you know room spaces, uh, all of the rooms get totally booked up. When you look at uh, the number of suppliers, you you just don't have a, a. There's often not enough suppliers to do all of the 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 different events that go on, so it ends up driving up costs and it ends up. You know, right. uh, less, lessening the quality of, of some of the things. Could we could we coordinate better? Oh, certainly, always, <laughs> always. Yeah, you know, that's that's a never-ending struggle trying to trying to you know get things online and is, get things to work. Is this together. something we should be looking to the tourism board to do? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of, of, you know, working with the, working with the, the, the public in the public space and trying to get the public space to step up to, to do things and in, encouraging, encouraging, um, you know, business owners to, to create stuff and giving them the opportunities and giving them the resources to be able to, you know, um, to be more creative because they're, you know, the, that's, 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 you know, what we do every day so so we're we're a little bit more on the ground when it comes to understanding what what people are after what's available you know and, and such like that um i think you know you could you could definitely uh give give support especially for for larger events um uh you know things like things like for instance the gay games were just here they you know they had potential to bring in twenty thousand people but as a you know as a result of of a lot of different influences and factors and covid and all of that sort of thing they ended up um uh being much smaller than they were originally planned and that would have brought in you know loads of uh uh loads of tourists yeah i mean uh i think one of our LegCo members in particular was definitely making loud noises against the gay games wasn't he yeah well you know you know, one of the one of the beauties of, of uh, you know things like that is is that it it helps to influence society because with with, with events they they help to create um, uh, they help to create social ideas, help to create social structures, help to kind of create identities within there. So things like the gay games where they're talking about inclusion and diversity, um, you know, perhaps there's they had some people that were very much against but you know hopefully some of those minds were changed and they realized that people are just people 
Okay, let's bring in a couple of comments from listeners. Uh, Mike says, from a city that never slept to now one where that it's hard to find a place to eat after 8pm. The golden goose has flown away. Um, and uh, Henry, picking up on a point I mentioned in the intro about the West Kowloon Cultural District organising a series of uh, free music shows last weekend. Henry says, I don't know about the music shows at the West Kowloon Cultural District. Why was there no widespread publicity in the Chinese press? If I knew about it, I would go there too. I also wonder if the music shows Western music only or Western and Chinese music at the show. Uh, Hong Kong is multicultural. We should have Russian, Chinese, Indian, Thai and also how to appreciate music from other areas. I find it difficult to comprehend the intrinsic beauty of the music of other countries like Russian, Indian or Korean, etc. Thank you very much, Henry. Um, um, Robert Rogers, what do you think of that? That's an interesting point, isn't it, about these... these these music shows at the um, West Carolina Cultural District seem to have rather passed under the, the horizon. Were you aware of them? Uh, I, I know because I know somebody who was working on it. There was also a big dance uh, festival that was over there, I believe, um, at Dance and Music. Um, uh, the groups that I know that were involved were old, you know, old local groups. I believe C C D C C D C C was was there, which is a big, you know, old dance company. Um, I, I knew about them. I saw them as I went by them on the ferry. I glanced over. They had tents and all that over there. Uh, but I didn't see any advertisement. Okay, and another comment from a listener about uh, events in West Carolina Cultural District, though not, not actually so much, well, briefly mentioned the concerts. Uh, Ilna says, I, I visited West Carolina last Sunday, uh, this, uh, Sunday pre- the previous Sunday, uh, when M-Plus announced a free entry to the museum. I was shocked to see such a long queue outside the museum. As someone who isn't a fan of waiting in queues, I decided to make the most of the perfect sunny day and explore the area. It was bustling with people, enjoying picnics and watching a free concert in the park. I couldn't but help feel sorry for those who prefer to queue for what I guess to be around two hours, rather than enjoying the day out in the art park. In hindsight, it might have been beneficial for the museum to extend its business hours until 10pm at night rather than 6pm. This would have provided visitors with more flexibility to enjoy both the museum and the outdoor activities. Museum staff stopped people from queuing to enter the museum promptly at 4pm. During my visit, I noticed a lot of tourists from China. It's evident West Carolina Cultural District's attractions have a strong appeal to international visitors. Personally, having been to M-Plus so many times, I normally skip such free entry days. Perhaps M-Plus and other museums managed by the Leisure and Cultural Services Department should reconsider the way they organise free entry days to make it more enjoyable for everyone. Finding ways to minimise queuing and optimise the overall experience will enhance the cultural offerings and attract a wider audience. Ilna, thank you very much for that, those very detailed suggestions. Uh, Robert Rogers, I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts on uh, what our listener was just suggesting there. Well, for any, anything free in Hong Kong, you get queues out the doors. <laughs> I, I always avoid those free days just for that same reason. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember one yeah, of the, the, the interesting. I'm sorry. One of the interesting things that was mentioned in there someplace: the uh, how how our our where was we used to have like overnight, you know, parties going on all all night long, and that sort of dried up. But uh, a, a lot of that, I think, just comes from the fact that. Uh, lack of lack of manpower. Uh, lack it, once once the once the, the the restaurants and bars and such like that um, are making money at it, they'll stay open. So you know, it kind of needs people to to be there. I think um, there was a change of habit, wasn't there? Thanks to yes. COVID, if thanks is the right word. Um, what with the political unrest and then the and then COVID, people just got out of the habit of going out in the evening for, to yeah, dine. Of course. Everything else. Sure. All my rowdy sure. friends have settled down. 
you and your rowdy friends. <laughs> but there should be a new generation of rowdies. What, what are they doing? They're sleeping on the job. And I think people, once people got in the habit of staying at home and watching Netflix and, and other things, they just got out of the habit. Hmm. That is, yeah, def- definitely that, that's happened. And, and the, you know, the, uh, because they got out of the habit, the, the bars were closed and the, in order to stay open, they need, you know, they need the, uh, need the money and they need, the, they need the customers. So if people will start to come back. But as far as events go in, in, uh, in Hong Kong, how to, how to get them to help to, you know, be, help the, the tourism market. You know, when you look around the world and you look at things that, 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 Hong Kong um, uh, that other cities are doing. Um, I think somebody mentioned, for instance, like Disney, for instance, right now they have the, 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 the frozen thing and wondering if, if that would be good for tourism. Personally, I, I think what we're looking for is more homegrown uh, uh, things that that show Hong Kong and show Hong Kong culture and show it as, you know, a vibrant international city. If you if you start to try and import things, for instance, the uh, races, they had races, the races were on recently down downtown, was that last weekend? Yeah, the e-races, uh, yeah. The e-races, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, pushing things like the uh, Frozen and such like that, we start to kind of become homogenized with a lot of other cities and we start to lose our, our identity. So, so why would you want to come to Hong Kong? Why not go to Tokyo or, well, or Miami? Actually, our Frozen is else? the only one in the world So at the moment. So sure, sure. Is worth, Elsa is worth is, it. Yeah, Elsa. Absolutely, and Elsa, Elsa is super popular amongst, you know, amongst a certain, certain age group. Yes. <laughs> girls, girls especially, kind of that four to ten, you know. So if you're a family... And and she's a big Elsa fan. Great, but you know when it comes to adults making those decisions, they might not necessarily oh, see. I don't know the difference okay. between and Elsa. You, you've and, obviously and never Mickey. argued with a four-year-old daughter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we're going to have no, to. I, uh, I, uh, yeah. yeah, sorry, yeah. Rob Rogers. Oh, uh, so 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 yeah. So I would love to see more, um, you know, more more homegrown, more more uh, events that are more about Hong Kong culture and that ring about. Bring about um, uh, you know the 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 feelings of Hong Kong and especially like you know the the older feelings of Hong Kong. So when you think about things like neon signs, you think you think about Hong Kong. Most people think about things like neon signs, like um, eating outdoors, like uh, uh, bustling markets, um, wet markets with like you know. And so, so that feeling of of old Hong Kong is is kind of part of our DNA. Okay, and if yes, we can, yes. Yeah. That's very interesting. Sorry to cut you off, but we are out of time. It's a very interesting thought to end on, though, um, and probably a topic for another show, indeed. Uh, so uh, thank mm-hmm. you very much to uh, Robert Rogers, a certified events professional, uh, live events consultant, and part-time lecturer in festival and event, live event production at Hong Kong Youth Space. And, of course, to uh, Jeff Bent, Managing Director of Worldwide Cruise Terminal, who's been here with us in the studio from the beginning. Thank you very much for coming in, Jeff. Uh, stay with us. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
Moving on, a, a new uh, amendment, a new uh, a, a amendment to the Wild Animals Protection um, Ordinance was gazetted last Friday, and I think it's going to be introduced into Legislative Council uh, in the, the next week. Um, uh, will increase the penalties uh, for um, uh, feeding wild animals in the city. The, the penalty can now increased to a hundred thousand dollars. That's ten times the existing uh, fine of ten thousand dollars, which how well you feed, and indeed you could be in prison for. One year, and the other aspect of this uh, new bill, if it's passed, uh, which uh, they expect if it's passed to come into effect uh, next year, is that um, uh, pigeons will be for these. This purpose will be defined as wild animals as well, not for, for other purposes. But uh, uh, it, it wouldn't be a crime to hunt pigeons and so on. But um, uh, for the purposes of feeding them, you could also be fined a hundred thousand uh, dollars or sent to prison for one year if you feed a pigeon. My, Mike Rouse is looking rather horrified here. Well, I I I don't feed pigeons. Or wild boar, or monkeys, and I'm annoyed by by the presence of different respects of all of them. But a hundred thousand dollars is a hell of a lot of money. I'm just wondering. Okay, well, yeah, let, let's explore. I guess how serious a problem this is. We we, we have um, uh, Yifu Wang, who's a postdoctoral uh, researcher in wildlife law and conservation science at the University of Hong Kong, and uh, Suit Mei Wong, who's a conservation officer at the Hong Kong um, Bird Watching Society. So, I'm um, Suit Mei Wong. If we're talking about pigeons, I suppose it makes sense to start with you. Uh, do do you support this? Um, do 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 you support this amendment? And how serious is the problem? Really, is it? Is it feeding pigeons? Hello, good morning. Actually, uh, we support the direction of the amendment because uh, the higher penalty and and uh, uh, fixed penalties can also deter the people, like the public members, from uh, feeding the animals, including uh, wild birds and also the feral pigeons. And, and you're asking uh, how serious is the problem. From our point of view, we think that um, feeding uh, wild birds and also feral pigeons will, uh, will do more harm uh, to the wild birds uh, as well as the pigeon as well. Uh, for example, uh, we we found that uh, artificial breeding of birds can affect the foraging pattern. Like uh, they would like to gather to get the uh, human provided food. Uh, in worst scenario, we can uh, we, we can see that uh, this will weaken their the ability to forage itself. Uh, from the wild, and and it will also uh, weaken their awareness to the predator, like uh, like human beings or uh, raptors. Right. What sort of person uh, likes to feed pigeons? Um, I think raptors, like black kites, uh, will also uh, target some weak uh, birds as well in the wild. And uh, another predator is like the domestic cats or dogs. They they will also uh, target. Uh, the birds uh, for maybe for fun. Uh, so uh, if the pigeons or the wild birds are not aware of the surroundings uh, because right. they would like to depend on the food provided by the humans, so they will be uh, very uh, not not sensitive to the surroundings. So feeding uh, the birds is bad for the birds, but why do people do it? What what sort of people is it? Old people, children, or uh, families? Yeah, uh, from the from our observation, we can see uh, for feral pigeons, most of the people who feed the birds are are just some uh, uh, old, old women. Uh, like they want to uh, feed them because they 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 think that the pigeons are very poor uh, with the breath from the wild. But actually, from our point of view, um, they they are they have the ability to feed on the uh, feed on food from the wild. And so. Actually, we we doesn't have to uh, like help them to to get the bread so, or the rice. So it's public education that 
you think you're helping, but you're not really helping. Yeah, um, I think that the education is not enough uh, for them because uh, there's some kind of misunderstanding uh, on the behaviour of uh, wild bird and other people. Right. Yeah. Now, the government brief on the uh, on the, on the amendment uh, that's been introduced uh, talks about how uh, feeding feral pigeons uh, can increase their population and cause ecological imbalances with, with other species of uh, uh, birds and indeed other wild creatures. Um, let, let's ask um, Ifu Wang, who's a postdoctoral researcher in wildlife law and conservation science at the University of Hong Kong. Um, is, is that a serious issue? Is, is, is that a reason why we shouldn't be p- feeding pigeons? Um, if we want? Um, yeah, hi. Hi, uh, good morning. for having me. Yes, welcome um, to Back Chat. Yeah, I think ecological impact is definitely one thing that we need to concern. And, uh, um, like, for example, feeding pigeons will um, cause them to gather in large amounts. And um, that definitely caused some public health concerns, not only for people, but also for pigeons and birds themselves as well, because uh, naturally they probably wouldn't gather in such a large flock or in such a high density um, because of the distribution of the natural resources. So that would permit or benefit of transmission of some disease within the bird flock um, and there is also potential to other birds as well so there's definitely a concern there um, and also another uh, potential uh, negative benefit, uh, negative impact from feeding is um, the food or the people who um, the, the material that people use to feed the birds or other animals might go into the um, ecosystem and may also cause health impact to the animal who feed on it. For example, for the well boars, um, because I mainly research on well boars, um, we have seen that the well boars, um, a lot of them have developed a habitat of uh, falling plastic bags and try to sort of chew on them or bite on them because uh, feeders may use plastic bags to hold the food that they feed to the well board, and then that establishes a learning behavior association of plastic bag and food, which is kind of makes sense, but then the negative consequence is that the well boards may accidentally consume the plastic bag, which is definitely uh, bad for their health. Yeah, but for wild boars in a rather different category from pigeons, I mean, we, people don't, if, if you yeah. don't feed wild boars, they're just going to go and get the food themselves from rubbish bins, aren't they? We, we see that all over Hong Kong anyway. Yes, that's also why uh, feeding is um, sort of stop people from actively feeding wild animals is one part of the solution. But we also need to use other things, for example, redesign of the uh, redesign of the garbage bins or how we dispose of the garbage, uh, and also again. Um, Echoing with uh, Wong as well on the education program of people's awareness not to. Uh, inappropriately dispose of their garbage and not to feed them. And if um, we also see in the wild boar feeding that old women or old people tend to feed wild boars more compared to other age or gender categories, um, I think there is probably a need for them to um, sort of having a enjoyment activity or um, having association with nature. So we do identify that there might be some need from those frequent feeders of why they go to feed wild animals. And we also need to help them to find alternative activities or guide them towards a more 
um, environmental friendly behaviour. Right, there's a mix, a mix of motives here, aren't there? I remember growing up, going to feed the ducks uh, in the local river or pond, that was... That was a great activity. Um, would that be illegal in Hong Kong now? I rather <laughs> suspect it would. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm just wondering whether we... I mean, isn't there a danger of being seen as oversensitive here? You go to um, tourist attractions elsewhere in the world. I mean, London's Trafalgar Square is famous for that, with pigeons and they will be, people will be selling food for that. I think it's similar in Rome. So isn't there a danger that Hong Kong is being seen sort of as being slightly oversensitive about these things? Um, uh, Suit Mei Wong? Hi, yes. Uh, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> hi. <laughs> hi, I mean, compared yeah, with I, other countries, there are plenty of countries where um, people feed pigeons and it doesn't seem to be seen as this big health concern. Um, um, I think uh, we, we maybe uh, general companies are not uh, really aware about uh, the serious uh, impact of uh, feeding pigeons, uh, unlike other uh, countries like uh, in Singapore or in uh, England, I think uh, people are probably aware that uh, feeding pigeons will bring a lot of uh, health issues and also the hygiene issues. So um, I, uh, I really think that uh, the education in Hong Kong is, uh, is a kind of uh, lacking. Uh, so uh, apart from the legislative, uh, um, um, uh, legislative uh, effort, I think a more more effort should be paid on also the education and also the enforcement of the laws. Yes, they talk about enforcement, don't they? They say, I mean, this is not just a matter for the police. It should be a matter for leisure and cultural, so food, environment, or and hygiene department. And so, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still not clear how far this would. Ex- I mean, if you feel, feed feed a cat that is out on the street, is that going to be? Is that is that a bad idea as well? And is that would that be against the law? Do 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 do, do you know Sue Mei Wong? Yeah, uh, I think uh, from my point of view, uh, maybe uh, this kind of uh, feeling uh, will also constitute to the uh, uh, violation of the law. But uh, it depends on how the uh, official officer uh, enforce on this kind of issue. And in general, uh, I I think that uh, all the feeding in outside your home and in the community uh, will bring more harm than. Goes uh, to the community because uh, not not only for the hygiene. Uh, uh, just take some uh, the domestic dog or domestic cat for the uh, for, as an example. If you feed uh, them and their population increase, and this will also uh, affect the populations of uh, wild birds because they will also uh, prey on wild birds, small birds. Yeah. So. Uh, from the point of view of uh, ecology, uh, I was, uh, I also think that uh, this kind of feeding should also be uh, considered under this law. Yeah. So basically, we shouldn't feed any kind of uh, animals that are living outside. Yeah, yeah. This, this is more uh, uh, friendly to the wild animals. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Well, that's quite a message, isn't it, Mike? Thank you, thank you very much to uh, Suit Mei Wong from the Hong Kong Bird Birdwatching Society and to uh, Yi Fu Wang, who's from uh, the University of Hong Kong, a postdoc research in wildlife law and conservation science. So that's all for today. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I think not feeding creatures is, is actually <laughs> their best interest and the public interest. Okay. The monkeys now attack. Okay, we'll leave monkeys, monkeys for, for another day. Uh, that's all for today. I'll be back tomorrow with uh, Ada Wong. So join us then.